averaging well above 80, 85% occupancy. The other difference is in hotel is, is seasonal. There are always a season, it goes up and down. So there are season, there are certain shows, there are different convention. Hotels will do really well. You're listening to The Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, hey, everyone. Annie Dickerson here together with the fabulous Julie Lamb. And today we are excited to share with you our conversation with Harsh Kedriwal. He is the CEO and founder of HVR Investments and co-founder of Harvin Capital. And Harsh specializes in an asset class that both Julie and I are super excited about which is hotels. Now, I know what you're thinking, but just wait a second. (laughs) I know there's been a lot of doubt and skepticism around the hospitality industry, especially given everything that's been happening since the pandemic and travel slowing down, tourism slowing down, travel regulations all up and down. But when things like that happen, you have to ask yourself, Does this mean I should really run the other way? Or does this mean that everybody else is missing out on an opportunity that I could potentially get in on? And we find that often when everybody's running the other way, it can be a good opportunity for those who are bold and courageous and think outside the box to swoop in and take advantage of sometimes a once in a lifetime opportunity. And this is why we're so excited to talk to Harsh because we're learning about the hotel industry as well. And while there are some similarities to multifamily, which is what we specialize in, there are also a lot of differences, a lot of different metrics and things to think about when it comes to investing in hotels. And that's a big part of what we will dive into in this conversation with Harsh. He's been investing in hotels for many, many years. And in this episode, he really talks about, well, what are the key factors to look for? And what are the differences between limited service or select service hotels and full service hotels? And how have they been impacted by the pandemic? And how have hotels really evolved during that time to become much more efficient? And why hotels are such a great investment, especially right now, while we're still on this upswing and returning to the travel levels that we were at before COVID. And he talks a lot about the difference between tourism travel versus business travel. And as you know, those are very different types of audiences. And when they travel, they look for very different things. When you're traveling with your family on vacation, you're going to be looking for a lot different things, right? You're going to want the pool, the room service, all the bells and whistles. But when you're a business traveler, depending on how long you're staying and what you need, you're probably looking at maybe a quick breakfast in the morning, but a nice, just a nice clean room with a desk, just the basics, but with a nice experience to go along 
with it. And so that's what Harsh really specializes in are these select service hotel investments. And he'll walk you through what exactly that means and why they are so efficient to run and why they are recession resilient and why now is such a great time to invest in these types of opportunities. And so I want you to take whatever prior thoughts you had about the hotel industry and just set them aside for a second, go into this episode with an open mind. Because as we always say, there's money to be made in any part of the market cycle and in any industry. It's just a matter of having the education, the resources, the network, the connections, the opportunities to be able to find the right deals to invest in. And so this is part of why we wanted to bring this conversation to you, because this is a an industry or rather an asset class that's been overlooked, especially over the last 12 to 18 months, as people have been very wary of the hotel industry. And so we want to share with you from an expert, the real insights on exactly what's going on, what those vacancy and occupancy numbers have been, what that means for the profitability of a hotel like the ones that Harsh operates. And so with that, we'll get into it in just a minute. But before we do, If you are new to this whole world of passive investing, whether it's hotels or self-storage or multifamily, but you're just eager to get into real estate, but you want to do it in a passive way, you want to learn how the whole process works, what a PPM is and how the funding works and how the distributions work, how the taxes work, all that stuff. A great place to start is to get a copy of our book. It's called Investing for Good. And we have a free hardcover copy for all of our listeners. Just go to goodaginvestments.com slash book. All right. With that, let's dive into our conversation with Harsh Kedriwal. Harsh, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Annie, and thank you, Julie. Really excited to be on the show. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. Well, I know that Julie and I are so excited to have you on the show today because we are lifelong learners, especially when it comes to real estate. And as you know, Harsh, our bread and butter through the investments that we make has primarily been through multifamily, that we're always looking to diversify our own portfolios into other interesting and recession resilient opportunities and to help our listeners and our investors to do the same. So today we're super excited because we get to dive into something that both Julie and I are learning more about, which you're an expert in, which is really the hospitality industry and investing in hotels. So start by telling us a little bit because hotels, it's not the first thing that everybody thinks about investing in, right? So tell us a little bit about your journey. And then I know you've invested in multifamily as well and how you got into this space. We started off actually from the retail. I'll take you back with my little bit of a journey that will explain. So I come from a tech background. So I have been in a corporate world for a good 20, 25 years. And at that point, I was looking for passive investment. Though I must say I started doing the passive investment 
quite late, 15, 16 years into my career. So we started off with the retail, buying small shopping complexes, like a three, four shop, like a pizza place and those kind of things. And I came across a hotel opportunity to build the ground up and still join a friend of mine who have done a couple of these investments. And it was very nice of him to invite me as a partner in the deal. And we built our first Hampton Inn Hotel, Hilton Hotel in Austin, Texas. This was back in 2011 and 12. And it was a small project by, I mean, I would say about six or seven million dollars. And we did that. The reason we got into the hotel was it's a single unit. Instead of buying a shopping complex that's like three, four million, you're just building a hotel. And the brand name was good. And the idea was that 60% occupancy, 70% occupancy in the hotel generate, start generating profit. Like in multifamily, you need to be well above 70%, 80%, 85%. Here you have a good operator will generate enough profit. And cash on cash was really good compared to multifamily and retail. So that kind of got me attracted to that first hotel. And we did it well. We exited that hotel within two years. And then we moved on to subsequent other hotel project we can talk. Wow. So that was quick in and out and developed that property. And then, you know, I've always been curious, how do you go about selecting the brand? There's so many different hotel brands. Did you choose that one or was that, had that already been decided? How did that come about? So we were pretty set on two kind of brands that we will only entertain. One is the Hilton brand and the Marriott brand. As you can tell, there are so many other hotel brands that you can choose, like Wyndham or Tazen or La Quinta. But we were looking for select service because these are easy to operate and these are easy to manage. Hilton and Marriott always have demand. So they do not rely on foot traffic. Their demand drivers are mostly corporate travel. So they're not mom and pop, anybody just going and staying. These brands demand higher premium. Cost to build them is a little bit higher but the return is also higher. So always, if you see in the market, like you can always say, hey, I'm staying in this Hilton. I'm staying in Marriott. It kind of gives you not a status per se, but it gives you a little bit of an edge as opposed to I'm staying in the La Quinta next door or a day's in, right? So we also had a consultant who advised us, stay with this brand, you will not go wrong, right? So we chose Hilton brand name and it was very difficult to get the flag. But Austin, back in 2010-11, it was still growing. And the area that we chose was in suburb, select a hotel suburb with limited service. And it was fairly difficult process. We took us about nine months to get the flag, Hilton flag, but we managed to get the flag. And luckily, we were able to get in and out of that hotel and exited. We started building our track record. So it's fairly easy for us to get new flags in Hilton and Marriott brand name. So as you're developing the property, does Hilton give you certain guidelines? Like these are the sizes of our rooms or this is how it needs to be formatted. Do you have guidelines right from the get-go? Yes. Hilton and Marriott, again, they're very strict. They need what they call is an FF&E. And they also tell you how many rooms will work in that based on certain demand drivers, number of employees in that area. They will give you a guideline. They will not force you to do that. You can always build bigger, but will you be able to manage it? Will you be able to sustain it, right? That's always a question, but they give you a guideline. This is how the room will be. If it's an extended state, this is how the kitchen would be. This is kind of linen they go by. So when you're staying in the Hilton, you're kind of almost guaranteed 
that kind of quality of the linen and the utensils and dishwasher, whatever you're getting, kind of breakfast you're going to get is by Hilton standard. So they don't leave it to the operator to run those kind of things. They come and train, they inspect it. So it's a well-managed hotel. And obviously a few things changes with the operator. So it sounds like it's kind of like a franchise almost. Yes, it is a franchise. You pay a franchise fee to Hilton and Marriott. But when you see different ads in the TV that they are giving you free night for so many nights that you stay and they have a loyalty, that's all run by Hilton and Marriott. And you honor that loyalty and the number of points and employee. Everything is managed by Hilton and Marriott. And because of the brand and because of the loyalty, you will see repeat customers over and over again. Yeah, especially people who want to use their Hilton number or they want to collect points and whatnot. I know I'm in that club. (laughs) They have one of the best programs, Hilton and Marriott. Even if you go on vacation, you look Mm -hmm. at Hilton Vacation Club and Marriott Vacation Club and you use the points. I mean, that's the maximum number of value or the dollar that are associated with. You mentioned a term that our listeners may not be familiar with, select service. What does that mean? Select service, like if you go and stay in Westin or you say in Four Seasons, they're full-service hotels, right? The full-service hotel, they have a in restaurant, they have a bar. They have, like, you can just walk in and order your breakfast. You can order lunch. You can order dinner. You can stay in the lobby and order drinks. And you can have room service. But in select service, all you're going to get in the morning is a set breakfast. They call it hot breakfast, but they're not going to cook you an omelet. They do not have a bar. But again, maybe 5% of the hotel may have some bar, like if it's a home with suites in the downtown, right? Some area where there's a lot of uh, business travelers. So they may make an exception have a bar or may have a small restaurant. And that is generally outsourced. But select service, they won't have a room service. They won't have a lunch. They won't have dinner. So they keep their costs minimal. And generally, these hotels are designed for extended stay. So travelers generally stay there not just one night. They tend to stay like five nights, seven nights, or even a month. It seems like the business model is really informed by the market research that match between the type of audience that you're serving, the type of customers that are coming to these hotels, and what they're really looking for, as well as the brand standards and the expectations that customers have when they come to a hotel of this brand or of a tier like this. It takes the guesswork out. Right. So you're not having to make all those decisions from scratch, each individual thing. You sort of, it's like development on rails, right? You choose the brand and they give you all of the guidelines and you sort of have the data around, okay, this is the suggested number of rooms for this particular sub market. And these are the types of customers that will attract. They're fairly good in inspecting it, managing it. They will train your staff and they will go by ratings of the staff, they will award. And all these things matters when I'm booking a hotel, right? If I'm booking a home to suites or I'm booking a Hilton hotel, then I know kind of service I'm expecting. Instead, if I'm booking a Best Western or any other hotel for that matter, right? It can change, right? But Hilton Marriott in general, they go by their standard and this kind of like, as you rightly said, take the guesswork out, right? Yep. And I have a funny story about, I'll save it for another day, but I stayed at a hotel that I won't mention here on our way down from San Francisco to LA, or actually we were trying to get down to San Diego 
and talk about standards and the expectation. I don't know. I thought it would be fine to stay here. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't. It was really not fine. And now I know that where I should have stayed was one of the Hilton brands or one of the Marriott brands because I've since stayed at those brands. And you come to know what you're going to get when you go to those hotels. I think we all have been through one of those, like a, <laughs> one of the trade shows in San Jose last minute. Uh-huh. On the website, it shows four-star, best, yep. a lot of restaurants. I'd be scared to death, get down eight, yeah. eight, eight past midnight <laughs> to get and grab a cup of coffee or grab yeah. late-night dinner. I'll be, yeah. but yeah. Like, how bad can it be? And it's like, oh, okay, it can be yeah. this bad. They're charging I, I you like $200 a night. Oh, yeah. Four years ago. Well, that yeah. was the tricky part because I'm like, how? it's not like it's a $65 a night motel. Like, I, right. it was like $250 a night. And I'm like, it should be pretty decent. And it was a mess. But Anyway, we'll save that conversation for another day. One of the things you mentioned, Harsh, was that I always like to, when I look at investments, I always like to think about supply and demand, right? And one of the things that I think when most people think about investing or not even investing, but hotels is the demand piece, right? And people think of hotels and they think tourism and they think tourism and they think recession and they think goes down, right? They think that there's a chance that that could happen. So you said something earlier, you said demand is mostly from corporate travelers, right? Can you talk to us about that a little bit more? Like what's driving that demand? How are they filling up the rooms? Why are people coming? Mm -hmm. Each of the hotel, it's just like in any multifamily or any of the investment that we make, there's a couple of things that are most important. Location is very important. The brand name is important. Operator is very important. And the demand drivers. What the demand drivers are, number of companies, a growing city, right? And number of businesses that are around. Is there a hospital next door? Is there a small business that are next door? Is it like a big corporation next door? Like if you're buying a hotel or building a hotel next to Apple, right? Then you know number of rooms that are going to be coming in from Apple, right? But if there are 15 other hotels that are next to Apple, doesn't mean you're going to hotels, your hotel will be filled up, right? Do you need a corporate rate with them? So all these things have to be all taken care of when you're building it. And generally, the hotel, Hilton and Marriott will help you do those assessments, and they come up with uh, numbers that they expect this many rooms will be filled. The way in pandemic, corporate travel literally came down to single digit, right? So all these hotels, the big hotels kind of suffered. But the select service hotel, or what we call as a limited service, they're kind of interchangeable term, they still stayed in 50, 60% occupancy, right? Why? Because corporate travel, maybe the large corporation, they generally don't tend to stay in some of these limited service, but mid-sized to small companies, they continue, some people, business travelers continue to travel, onesies and twosies, right? But the big hotels like Four Seasons, JW, big Hilton brand, they suffer, but the limited services hotel, because of the cost cutting, they continue to stay occupied 60, 70%. Now the demand has gone up. Everyone hitting the road, right? They still don't want to pay for the full service because they never used to, like average traveler, because the money's coming from their own pocket. It's not a corporate travel, right? When you travel on a company's dime, you tend to spend more and you're staying in a full service hotel, but you're spending your own dollar, you will stay in limited service and buy your own breakfast, I'm not going to pay $19 for the breakfast and $25 for lunch. And if you're traveling with three kids, you don't want to pay $100 for the breakfast, right? So 
all you're going to eat is a muffin and a coffee or some fruits. So that's why limited service start, all these hotels have started doing really well as compared to some of the big brand names and W's and JW's and Four Seasons, they have been suffering. They tend to stay occupied by big corporate guys who can pay $400 a night. So a lot of these businesses, like if your hotel is next to a factory outlet, if your hotel is next to a hospital, if your hotel is next to a business park, those travelers are continuing to do business and the business are booming, right? And those are managed by five employees, 10 employees, and they are still doing face-to-face meetings. They still have to travel. That's why all these limited service hotels, especially, again, going by the location, if it is in the suburbs, they have done really well. In fact, they've done so good, they're doing better than what the pre-COVID level is. I hope that answers it. Yeah. And correct me if I'm thinking about this in the wrong way, but okay. So it's almost like the full service, if I'm comparing to multifamily, right? The full service is almost like the luxury level tier A sort of class A multifamily, right? It's got all the bells and whistles and it's for the luxury traveler or the luxury tier resident. Right. So then you've got the limited service, which is a tier down. It's almost like the class B or class C. It's like the workforce housing of the multifamily. I wouldn't say that. that. Uh, No, I would say the luxury, maybe like full service hotels are like, you can call it San Francisco, New York, downtown. Condoms. Okay. Nice news. It got service. It has a nice cafe at the bottom and those kind of things. Right. Yeah. And you have the food brand like Hilton and Simple Marriott, that's full service. Those are kind of like a class A plus luxury condo multifamily. Okay. Then you come down to limited like Hilton and Marriott. And again, this is my thought process, right? They are more like A minus kind of, you have what you need. You have bigger space. You have a working space. You can stay longer, kind of like you can work from there. It's kind of a home. You don't spend too much money. You don't need you pay for what you need. Do not have all the bells and whistles. Yeah. Then you have class B and class C, what I would call is days in and best restaurant and all these will go down that path. And then you have one of those hotels where Julie stayed. Remember the class? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's where I stayed in the class C yeah. now. Now it makes sense. That's how I'm rolling like, these days in. Where you, how do you classify? <laughs> that's my classification. Don't be wrong. But yeah. that's how I look at it. Like makes That sense. makes a lot of sense. Well, when it comes to the investor side of things, so now we've learned a little bit about how the business runs and the demand drivers and all of that. So when it comes to investors and thinking about investing in a hotel or a group of hotels, why would somebody choose to invest in hotels over, say, multifamily? What are the differences that they should be looking for? What's the same? How should they be evaluating these opportunities? I think it's a more of a diversification, like investing in a multifamily is always good, right? It has done well. Hotel, in reality, we have turned in better than 20%, 25% return year on year, and better than multifamily. In the past, multifamily, see, multifamily has done good in the last four or five years. And before that, it was giving you an average, like it will 3% rent raise, and now the cap rate has come down. So if you did an acquisition, say, three years ago, then your returns are higher. As compared to hotels, the cash on cash on hotels are very good. Most of the time, like, if you cash on cash is, say, 14 15%, you're getting it in the hotel. 
in five to six years, you get all your principal back in a way, 15% cash on cash you're getting. At the same time, your principal is still there in the hotel, right? On an exit, you get a multiple of that. Or hotels are generally sold at seven and a half, eight percent cap, right? So the way it works in hotel, it's 60, 65% occupancy, you start turning in profit. Right now, most of the hotels are averaging well above 80, 85% occupancy. The other difference is in hotel is, is seasonal. There are always a season. It goes up and down. So there are season, there are certain shows, there are different convention. Hotels will do really well and it can recoup all the money that they may have may not have made in say winter month in one area. And that may not be the peak season for them. But multifamily, in a way, 12 months, it's kind of a stable, right? There's no peaks and valleys. Yes, summer months, multifamily tends to be a little bit few percentage high. So that's the one big difference. The other big difference in a hotel is it's a single unit, basically. It's a single operation. It's largely governed by, again, the brand. It's governed by how good the operation is and the repeat customer, repeat client. They keep coming. If your operator is good, the people tend to follow. And the loyalty that we talked about, Hilton and Marriott, they have a, such a good brand name. They have a loyalty. So clients will keep coming back. So it's kind of a little bit for a safe bet from the investment. So I see, I think too much of one is always risky. That's why I like these hospitality class. I mean, it went through some tough time. So did multifamily, I would say, right? I'm equally vested in multifamily and hotel, but hotel have come back very strong and uh, it's not going anywhere. Obviously, we know people are going to be traveling. They're going to be staying. And as long as you have a good location and the brand, I think it will continue to do well. Why do you think hotels are a good investment that people should be looking at right now? Well, it went through some valuation change because of the pandemic. If we would have acquired some of the hotels that were going away or being sold at a discount last year, and we tried our best, <laughs> but we made quite a few bid, but there were bigger institution money out there. They had a fund of four, five hundred million, and they were acquiring hotels in a very good location. So. Right now, I think valuation of hotels is still a little bit on the lower side and corporate travel is opening up slowly. And what people think, oh, they will continue to work from home. I think more and more people are going to be start uh, coming back to work and they will be still be traveling. Yes, there will be forever. There will be some changes. There will be hybrid model, but I think the corporate travel is bound to start happening. It may not be as much as what pre-COVID level is. But if that picks up the hotel rooms and what we call is average daily rate and ref bar will continue to rise. We'll get back to our conversation with Harsh in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. 
When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now, back to our chat with Harsh Kedriwal. What is the average occupancy for hotels? Like multifamily, it's, we like to maintain them at like 90, 95%, something like that. What do you see in hotels? Oh, wow. Average occupancy, if you're doing 80, 85%, you're mm-hmm. making decent money. Mm-hmm. Again, the way you've written of the performer, right? When you're acquiring a hotel and see what makes sense. Anything about majority of the hotel that we have and where we are, 70, 75%, we start making money. And then 80, 85%, we are making very good distribution. And some of our hotels, we are well above 90% occupancy on an average because of the pandemic and pent-up demand. So we covered up all our losses of last year pandemic. How did the hotels that you own fare over the last year and a half, almost two years since COVID started? (laughs) I mean, the first year during 2020 was tough. Mm -hmm. Starting April, we had to literally, we were in single-digit occupancy in some of the hotels. Yeah, so, but the good thing is it's a select service. We could operate Mm -hmm. the entire hotel with a two or three-member staff. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, so we brought down the cost of operation very minimal, and Mm -hmm. we also got forbearance from government. Mm-hmm. And a mortgage forbearance we received from banks and government. So that was very helpful. And once the demand started picking back up, we got into 30, 40, 60% occupancy by September, October in about three, four months. So we were break even for majority of the time in 2021. But in fact, in 2020, November, December, demand started picking back up. Mm-hmm. And 2021, I mean, we have been well above 80, 90%. Wow. Picked up very, very fast. And I think this will only keep going up. It's interesting, right? Because if you can keep your staff down to one to three people, if you can get it down to that place, then you're able to kind of hedge any exposure to risk, not any exposure, but you can decrease the exposure to risk because you're just paring down your expenses, essentially. And you can kind of ride out period until you get back to a place where occupancy goes back up and you bring the staff on. Do you furlough those staff or do you have to actually let them go? What does that look like? So we furlough the staff. Okay. We had a long-time yeah. staff, so managers yeah. and everyone, senior staff, we followed them and daily cleaning staff and all these. We had to let go a few, but then we were able to hire majority of them back. And as you can see, some of the hiring is tough right now, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just a cost of doing the business. But we went through some challenges in hiring some of the staff in the hotels, just like in restaurants. There's so many people retiring. Again, people like to work in 
good brand name because the pay scale is better. There's a consistency. So mm-hmm. it boils down to, again, the brand name and the location and how well you treat your employee and how good the operator is. So it kind of helps in all, all around. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something earlier about a franchise fee. What's the percentage? Is it a percentage of like gross income or is it just like an amount, a set amount every month? I don't know too much about franchises, yeah. but how does that yeah, work? Yeah, it's a based on royalties. So it's kind of like it depends on each brand. They charge anywhere from 3 to 5% of the gross revenue. Okay. I like that because it's sort of a, an alignment of interest, right? Mm-hmm. It yep. sort of incentivizes them to help you get the thing off the ground, make sure it's operating well, make sure you're sticking to their brand standards and you see success. Oh, yeah. And they do all the advertisement, they manage all the bookings and everything else. And then you're tied to the system, then you're tied to the loyalty program and everything. So they charge you a certain percentage of their gross revenue. You mentioned that cash on cash with hotel investments is really good. Why is that? Again, it depends on the average daily rate and repar and occupancy. Mm-hmm. Most of the hotels that we have seen, again, if you're well above 60, 65%, you're break even. Mm-hmm. And if your hotels have been running 80, 85%, 90%, you're profitable. So your cash in cash is uh, pretty decent compared to like building the multifamily cost of building the multifamily is a little bit different than building the, the hotel, right? Mm-hmm. So the model for hotel is cash and cash is good, or at least majority of the hotel that we own, the cash and cash has been good. Mm-hmm. And we have been distributing profit to all our investors from that standpoint. Maybe one of the big reasons is, again, how efficiently you run. Just like in multifamily, if you can keep the cost down and your rent's higher, your cash on cash will be decent there as well. But lately, the cost of construction, and the same in the hotel for the new construction and multifamily is very high. Cash on cash may not be as great, but your exit, you make decent returns, mm-hmm. right? In hotels, I mean, cost to build is a pretty standard. There's a well-defined structure. There's a well-defined room. There's fm and and everything like is well-defined. So there's no nuances to it. So it kind of helps in operation. So limited service hotel generally have that, your cash and cash is a little bit generally higher as compared to any other hotel is what, and we have, all our hotels have been pretty much limited service. So mm-hmm. we run our hotel pretty, very efficiently, I would say. That's why I think my experience have been cash on cash has been really good. All about that. Sign me up for that high cash on cash. Absolutely. I'm curious about the role that Airbnb and short-term rentals plays in everything. Is that something that you factor in? How has that changed or impacted the hotel industry and the investments that you make? Well, it's a good question, Annie. Airbnb have been there for a while, right? So I've not seen slowing down. Just because of the Airbnb, more people are traveling, more people are on the road. And thinking we had a long discussion with Hilton. We have attended a number of webinars with Hilton, Marriott. And initially, everyone was thinking, hey, how's that going to change? But not too many people still, I would say, comfortable just buying, getting into Airbnb because of the, again, a lot of unknowns. You're going into Hilton and Marriott, then you know what you're going to get into, right? So that has been very helpful. And again, if you're staying there for two nights, three nights, the way we look at it is is you don't have a cleaning fee. You do not have like any of the fee associated with it. If you're going to be getting in there late, your bed is done. A lot of unknowns are like Airbnb, like you're going with family. Yes, you're going to go there. But it's a little bit different. So we're not targeting same client base, I would say. So yeah. it's not affected for, uh, that much as like what we initially thought it would. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true because like, for example, we've been moving around a lot. And as we go from leave one Airbnb and we go to another, sometimes we end up having to check into the Airbnb at night. And I'll tell you, it's scary trying to check into an Airbnb that's like up on a hill and you're, I'm like out in the, by the garage. I don't know. I'm like reading the Airbnb thing and it's like on the left side of the garage. Yeah. Like under the thing, the code is like three and I'm like underneath there in the dark. I got my kids waiting in the car and it's so much nicer to pull up to a hotel, park in a parking spot, walk into the lobby, meet a person who's there and they should, you know, they tell you where your room is and get you settled. And Airbnb is like you were saying, it's a different clientele, right? Airbnb is more like do it yourself, right? So you have all the amenities, but you do it yourself, right? Whereas the hotel is kind of done for you to a limited degree, right? The select service, but it's still done for you. You can go downstairs, there's breakfast. At the Airbnb here, I have to make sure I have groceries or I'm not going to eat or I have to order Uber Eats, right? So you have to do Uber Eats and you don't know what you're going to, like you get up in the morning, you're going to get coffee, you haven't done the grocery, you cannot have a breakfast. I like Airbnb, like if I'm gone to Sonoma or Napa Valley, I'm checking in the afternoon, I could do that. And then I have to do the rest of the stuff. And then you're kind of tempted to cook yourself and all these. My wife doesn't like it. She says, we're not staying in Airbnb. I'm with her. If I didn't have three kids, I'd be staying in a hotel for sure. But it is no fun staying in one hotel room with five people. Let me tell you, because I've done that here and there on this trip. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. No like, so it's like different client based, I would say. I mean, yeah. different where you're going, how many days you're going, yeah. who are you going with? I mean, yes. If you're going with like two, three family and you rent a big house, yes, I totally agree because you have a common place to meet. Hotel rooms in that case is not fun because they go to their own room and you just see them in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. There's no common place to hang around and those kind of things. It's a little bit different, yeah. All right. Well, last question that I have for you before we move on to the last part of our show is around risk. Whenever I look at investments, risk is always something I take into consideration. And I always want to make sure that I'm getting into a risk adjusted type of investment where the risk that I'm taking on, as there will always be, worth the potential returns that are there. So talk to us a little bit about what the risks are in the hotel space. No different, honestly, like a multifamily. Right. In the pre-COVID, hotels were like hospitality industry was booming. And post-COVID, I mean, it started picking back up. Mm-hmm. And as far as the risk-adjusted return, multifamily, it depends on which hotel you were in or which class of multifamily you were in. Class A were continuing to get rents. Class B and C were suffering. People were using the eviction moratorium and not paying rents and occupancy dropped and collection dropped and those kind of things. So in hotels, I would say there were two, three months where occupancy dropped, ADR dropped, repar dropped, obviously because the corporate travel cut down and nobody was traveling. Forget about corporate travel. Mm-hmm. But when pandemic was just towards the tail end and right. economy started opening up, ADR started going back up when the revenue per room started going back up and now the hotels are booming, right? I don't think Hotels are just going to go away. The prediction for current hotel occupancy and rates and everything travel is for the next three to five years is really good. So again, I do not have a crystal ball. I think it's a very good diversification play for people to invest in multifamily, hospitality and storage. Like we tend to do like three different asset class and we love the hotel. We have done a number of these hotels, but again, it, choose the right operator, choose the right brand choose the right location, right? Mm-hmm. 
So if you're picking location like downtown, any downtown, I would say stay away because that will take another two years for hotels to come back up. You're picking suburbs. You're picking a location where there are constant demand. Always there's a constant demand. Look at the historic returns. And that's where I think you need to be making a wise decision and select the kind of hotel that you would like to go stay in and like select service. There are papers, there are different studies that are already there about select hotels or limited service hotel. They will continue to do well. These are extended stay hotels. They're like home away from your home, right? So that's what I would focus on. Those are risk adjusted return that Mm -hmm. these hotels are not just going to go away. They're like your extended condo in a different city that you can go stay with a limited cost. Yeah. You brought up something that I think I just wanted to highlight real quick for the listeners. I think they may not be thinking about, which is potential benefit, the hotel strategy versus multifamily. In multifamily, you have a year-long lease. You're sort of locked in at this certain rate, right? And then Mm -hmm. when you renew, you have a chance to increase it. But when COVID hit, a lot of multifamily operators were starting to struggle because the tenants weren't able to pay rent and they had to figure out what to do. They were still living there. They were still occupying the space physically, but not able to collect. And sounds like with the hotels, because you have that ADR that I think it's the average daily rate. Is that right? Yeah. Um, You're able to adjust that on a daily basis, depending on what's going on. So it's a benefit. It sounds like. Yeah. Average daily rate and revenue power and everything get changed depending upon how many rooms you're filling up. It's kind of very dynamically changes. And there are different program algorithms that runs in the background. Depending upon how many people are clicking, the rate can continue to go up or down. Oh, wow. Depending upon season, depending on time of the day, everything changes. The number of rooms you're booking, corporate rates. So there's a lot of like work that goes behind it. So, the But clients. it's a very intelligent a system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's like that dynamic pricing model that they use in multifamily too, right? Right, multifamily. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah, when you go to leasing agent, they always yep. say, Come back tomorrow. The rate will be higher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good for us operators, though. It allows you to capture the most current trading leasing data that's out there, right? Otherwise, you have to wait 30 days, two months to hear about that, but to know what the adjustment is. But awesome. Well, so many more questions I could ask. These shows are never long enough, but we've got to move on. So we're going to move on to the last part of our show, which is the Life and Money Show Spotlight Round, where we're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So the first question is around your life and money. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? Well, as you know, like I was in the corporate world for about a good 25 years, I used to run a worldwide sales team for a big engineering services company. Gosh, they were very big, 100,000 employees, 120,000 employees, $6 billion revenue. And I was always on a constant travel, I like traveling to Europe, Japan, India, Korea, and all the places. Sounds luxurious. (laughs) But it was fun. At the same time, you're gone for a whole week for international travel. Takes away time from your family and wife. She's a CPA and a partner in a big CPA firm, Carriggs and Ingram. And it takes away time. She will have to help manage at home, my son, cool and everything. But two fully demanding job was getting a bit too much anyway. Plus the travel was getting old and constant pressure of end of the quarter because I was always in the high tech sales pressure, managing the team, meeting the quota, all that. And then 
I've been doing the passive investment on the side and learning the trick of the trade. And so decided enough is enough and take a plunge and started doing my own deals. As I told you, we built the hotel first. We started actually with the retail, I think. Yeah, we did first two couple of retail, then we did the hotel. Then we did ground up multifamily development, 238 unit of our own. So we did our own development and own deals where we were the sponsor and invited only close friends and family as a limited investors, partners. And when we started growing into bigger where our capital was not enough, so we started inviting additional friends and then our investor brace. That's how I got into doing this. And then I realized this was too much. So I started doing this full time last four years, I would say. And this is the fifth year now. I started doing this full time. So do my own deals. I've syndicated a few deals. Majority, we try to do our own deals from ground up or acquisition. Yeah, I think that's around the time I met you about four years ago, maybe five. Yeah, and we're, yeah. Yeah, we were both on that same journey. I think that's when all of us met at the same time through a mutual colleague of ours. So yeah, lots of pressure in the W2 world. And lucky for us, it ended up being a good choice for us to move into real estate and so much fun. Control your own schedule. You have your own vacation time. You get to spend more time at home. And I don't have to travel half the across the world for half the <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. I mean, it was good for a few months of maybe about a year to year, but then it gets boring, right? Yeah. The one thing that I've loved, like the flexibility is great and awesome, but the one thing that I've loved throughout this whole journey is the people I've gotten to meet. I just feel like everybody has a sense of wanting to share and wanting to help, at least the folks I've been fortunate enough to meet along my journey in real estate, but it's been a ton of fun. So love it. All right. Second question is around others' life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you can share that will make an impact in others' lives right now? My biggest would be start investing early. I think I started investing way late. I waited for to accumulate and I started investing in CDs and very, very safe investment. I thought I could make a difference by buying a single family home, but then I soon realized return on investment on the time that I will put in and return I'm going to get on the single family was not enough as compared to if I do multifamily or hotel as a passive investment, I would make more, almost kind of a guaranteed return. Kind of flows if single family is going to go up, multifamily has been going up, but choose the right investment. Had I done that early enough, I think I would be sitting very comfortably, nicely. You good now, but I'm not <laughs> saying I should have done that earlier. Advice you'd be sitting is, there being Annie Dickerson. That's what you'd yeah, be sitting there, there go. doing. <laughs> you got my gold throne here. <laughs> now I tell my yeah. son to start investing early. He started his job, first job. I'm like, as soon as you have some money saved, you start investing yep. early. Yes, you've set aside some money in stock and your 401k, but start doing the real estate investment early on and start learning the ropes and get your feet wet. And if you start doing two, three investment every year, in five years, you will see it will come mm -hmm. full cycle. You won't have to put more capital, but three will become six and then you will start exiting <laughs> and you will make multiple of that. That's my one of the big things that I would tell investors is if you get into deal, two or three deals on an annual basis, mm -hmm. in five years, even if you say 16, 17% IRR, even if you would say rotate in six years, Mm -hmm. You won't have to put new capital, but you can start doing six mm -hmm. because your three will 
exit. So yeah. you keep on rotating. And at some point, there will be enough cash flow coming. You could start retiring. You think of retiring. Otherwise, oh, yeah. you're going to be hooked on to your W-2 and you will never be able to quit or retire. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun because I've been talking about this with my kids since four or five years ago when they were five, four, and two, and even in the simplest terms. And they're going to continue to learn about this. Annie talks about this stuff with her her boys too. Gosh, I wish somebody was talking to me about this kind of stuff when I was five years. So anybody out there listening, start investing early. In addition to that, start teaching your kids. Start talking to your kids, even if they're five. Talk about it on a very basic level and start having the terminology and the language around it because I think that's the exposure is so key as well. Yeah, value Our, for money. They will understand value of money, saving. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, so it's very important. All right. Last question is life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? Well, I try to give it back to community, actively involved in the, since I come from high tech world. So I'm actively involved in mentoring a couple of young startup companies and not only as an angel investment, but also dedicating part of my time in advising them, helping them build their sales channel, helping them building their business plan. At the same time, I also me and my wife, we opened our own foundation company where we're going to be nonprofit. We will be donating part of the proceeds to different organizations. And we just got started and we allocating small percentage of the profit to that foundation and start distributing to non different nonprofit organizations. So one way at the same time, we help out on a couple of organizations where I dedicate my time and helping teaching kids. Not about the money, but golf. <laughs> and my son has been involved in the first day of Greater Austin program where he has been mentor. So I try to give it back to them and any other different organization where they need help and try to see if they need my help or expertise. And so slowly, but I think slowly I'm getting into that area as well. Amazing. What great ways to pay it forward and to give back and to really amplify your impact. That's what I love about hearing people's stories and hearing their journeys of growth and building wealth is that once you see that success, you're really able to maximize that impact and be generous to that level that you always wanted to be. So it sounds like you're doing so many amazing things. Harsh, I know our listeners are going to want to follow up with you and learn more. So tell them what's the best place that they can go. Well, they can reach out to me anytime. They can send me an email at harsh at hvrinvestment.com. They can go to my website. They can send me an email through that. They can always give me a call. So all my information is on my website and you're welcome to share that with them. Happy to talk to them. I spend a good portion of my time educating my investors, tell them about multifamily, how the investment works hotels and any other vertical that I'm involved that I can part my knowledge. Definitely, I would look forward to talk to different people, different. So I would love to hear from them. 
Fantastic. Well, to all of our listeners, we'll have all of that information for you in the show notes. Harsh Kedriwal, CEO and founder of HVR Investments and co-founder of Harvin Capital. Harsh, thank you so much for being here with us and our listeners today and educating us more about investing in hotels. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 